0: This is episode 130 of the XY podcast with Lee Shaddell. We are so excited to have Lee on the podcast. Her approach to giving advice and financial coaching is incredibly unique and it's been so awesome to watch her journey over the last few years. Lee made the full transition from financial advisor to certified money coach in June 2018 when she hung up her advice hat for the last time and gave up her license. She's the yoga teacher, wellness coach, and creative entrepreneur blending health and financial well-being to help her clients take ownership of their financial decisions. In this chat with Adrian from XY, Lee shares her fascination with behavioral psychology and how this has shaped her journey to becoming one of the few certified money coaches in Australia. She explains how she is blending yoga and financial coaching, what her money coaching process with clients actually looks like and shares a few ideas on how advisors can add money coaching to their own value prop in a seemingly over-compliant industry. Lee is also putting together a course for the XY training platform, which we know will be well-received as this is such a huge topic of discussion within the XY Facebook group. We really hope you enjoy this episode, and if you would like to be notified as soon as Lee's course hits the XY platform, reach out at xyadvisor.com. This
1: podcast
2: is brought to you by Salesforce, blaze new trails to richer client relationships with the world's number one CRM salesforce has designed the financial services cloud to help you make every interaction personalized through rich client profiles centered on personal goals and pivotal life events you can nurture deeper relationships with proactive tracking and event alerts that remind you to reach out when clients need you the most supercharge your productivity by managing client engagements household relationships and financial life goals all from the one connected platform it's the world's number one crm Imagine Just for Wealth Management. Salesforce is excited to partner with XY Advisor to discuss how you can build richer client relationships and unlock loyalty. Lovely to have you on. It's been a while. It has. I think last time we were chatting, you're in, in an airport. That was our earlier <laughs> podcast where we were, um, there was uh, calls of uh, your satellite flight 202 is coming in <laughs> in between all these brilliant, um, brilliant pieces of information about how you're doing advice at the time. <laughs>
1: Nothing much has changed. I think there's been many more airports. Since more then, airports? So. Yeah, you have been doing a bit of travel, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, I have, but more internationally now. So. Mm. Mm.
2: What's uh, what are some of the cooler places you've been?
1: Uh, in the last six months, mostly the US, although Canada as well, but yeah, the west coast of the US.
2: Any skiing or anything while you've been over? There?
1: Uh, I was there for winter, but no, I'm not very much of a skier. I'm a okay. water skier, not a snow skier. I'm nice. Mm.
2: Well, the when you're up on the coast, was that Oregon as well? Where are yeah,
1: in Oregon. Yeah, Portland. Beautiful. Yeah. Such a cool
2: place. I haven't been there, but I've heard really good things. Great yeah. surf, apparently.
1: Yeah, the coast, Oregon coast, is great surf. And a lot of um, Californians are moving up to Portland to live because it's cheaper prices and it's just a really funky place. So. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Is that where,
2: I don't know, was it Uber or Lyft started there or something?
1: Um, it's the head of Nike. So head I'm of not Nike. sure. Okay. I think Uber...
2: I thought I don't one know. of those, uh, or maybe they put up one of the biggest spots in the US or something, and that's maybe. why it's today. yeah.
1: Maybe I mean Lyft is prolific over there. Is so, it? Yeah, it's huge and, and Uber, but there's a. What's lot of, the? Like, is there any
2: difference? Because we don't have Lyft obviously over here. Is there any difference?
1: Not really. It's just a little bit cheaper. I guess. Okay. Um, and I think there was another, I was talking to a Lyft driver once and he was saying that they have to go through more checks, like security checks, to be a Lyft driver than they do Uber oh, So Lyft Uber's a bit looser. Yeah. Mm. Which is surprising. Uh, oh,
2: I wasn't, yeah, that makes a lot more sense with the Uber drivers I've had more recently. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> seems like the uh, requirements are dropping. Yeah, they do. I feel like they? I'm hopping in taxis again. It's, yeah, I know. So, and they've got the GPS there, so I don't know what's going on. I don't
1: know what's going on. <laughs>
2: must be easier up on the Gold Coast by these days. Uh, the, yeah. the roads don't get as complicated up here.
1: No, so. they don't. It's pretty chilled out here. Yeah. And
2: you have you been here for a bit or are you sort of going to... I
1: got back from the US almost two months ago now. Yeah. So yeah, back here for a bit. Um, yeah. It'll be my base. But I am doing a lot of travel and we will be doing more workshops in Bali and going back to the US in June just yeah, for cool. a few weeks and going Well, I guess a few it.
2: people are probably listening going... How are you running a financial advice business like that, so maybe it's maybe we need to sort of explain back, yeah. yeah what how have we got into yeah. I guess what now is like a, it's an online business and mm-hmm. yeah what what was the transition like and what where did you where did I start yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, so full transition was around about June last year, so it's coming up a year um, from basically handing back my license um, as a full financial advisor and focusing purely on money coaching so I made a decision to make my business 100% location independent so that I can travel wherever in the world and that I can also work with clients everywhere in the world and that's been really exciting because I've got clients um, in Ireland, Sweden, Venezuela, Colombia us canada australia awesome. bali india <laughs> yeah. and they're obviously
2: good reasons to go to those countries to visit correct. the clients so
1: yeah correct
2: Tax to of course of course
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's method in my madness right <laughs> um but i wanted to do that from a lifestyle point of view i love traveling um i wanted to not have to be tied down to see clients face to face i still will if i'm in the area and i can i will see them face to face but Everything's done on Zoom. Um mm-hmm. and it's all just pure money coaching. So behavioral psychology of money, not looking at any other aspect outside of that except for cash flow planning. I do that as well.
2: Yeah. I this is we could go quite deep here. Because <laughs> a lot of people think cash flow and they think like maybe a buckets approach, just mm-hmm. sort of organizing the money a mm-hmm. bit, but like the depth this whole behavioral finance side Mm. of things or how do you relate to money like yeah it's so intriguing like it's yeah but I've never gone past the intriguing state to go oh how do we actually do something with this this sort of um state of affairs like it's,
1: it's fascinating it's actually when you get to the real reason behind the purpose of money in someone's life like the triggers for them what fears they have around it what their aspirations are what their beliefs are and their habits, you can go really deep with your clients, and it's just really exciting conversations. Mm-hmm. You're having conversations around, it's more like a psychology kind of conversation because you're talking about, you know, what does money mean to you and, and what were the messages that you heard growing up and then got instilled into you, and and why do you keep doing the stuff that you keep trying not to do? It's like self sabotage. So, we're looking into a lot of that. Um, it's fascinating. So it works really well with cash flow planning and spending coaching because you're looking at habits and behaviors, and then you're looking at what the triggers and the emotions are that are driving those behaviors
2: as well. Yeah, because it's easy enough to go, okay, well, this is what's coming in, this is what's going out. Like, if we do this, this, and that, then it's going to look a lot better, but like the practicality of the change that needs to occur to yeah, to make it's that happen.
1: Yeah, we can't look at money just from a pure numbers or logical point of view because it's an emotional topic and it's a core survival topic as well so it it brings out fears from clients and talking like maslow's
2: hierarchy of needs that sort of thing yeah for sure
1: so how do you take a left brain approach to something that's actually more about life like it's a tool that we use in our life to bring the things that we want into our lives so if we just take a pure left brain approach, we're completely discounting all the emotions and the habits and the feelings that are going on behind it. And clients know that they should be spending less than they're earning. They know that, but they can't control their behaviors um, most of the time. Or they know that they should be putting more money away into super or put more money into investing or paying off debt, yet they just can't help themselves. So my role is to get to the point of what's what's causing that? What's that reason? If we can find that reason, then then we can help you move forward. So mm. it's um, a bit of strategy, a bit of planning. Like when, is it like when a
2: masseuse is on your back sort of yeah. going around, and spot. they find that spot <laughs> and they just get in there and you're like, oh, Lee, I don't want to talk about it anymore.
1: Tears. There's always tears, <laughs> trust me. It's so different. Like it's so unusual to be with clients all the time and they're crying. And I'm mm. just... Um, like I'm what just,
2: sort of proportion of venues are we talking? Like,
1: oh. I'd say initially, because it's a step-by-step process. Yeah, probably that, that first crack-the-nut sort of meeting yeah. is... Um, most of my clients, like wow. 90% of clients, I'd say.
2: Wow.
1: Tears, yeah.
2: That's, yeah. Um, that's breakthroughs for a lot of people, I guess. That's...
1: It's because we hold so much emotion around money. Like, mm. we make money in charge of our measure of success and our self-worth and our happiness, and we define ourselves as good and bad people by the amount of money we have and what we've done with money. So it holds a lot of fear and regret and jealousy and remorse and mm-hmm. grief and judgment. And so once you start talking about some of that stuff and you give people a place to explore it, then there's always tears. But that's also like, wow, release of yeah. thank God I've been able to talk to someone about this and normalize it because we don't talk about it. So mm. it just becomes this thing where we're like, Oh, well, Everything's fine, but underneath the surface, it's not. So
2: it's a bit like if you've got like you don't use your body as much, and the certain muscles that maybe don't get activated, you are sitting right. down all day. Mm. All of a sudden, you start doing that. It's quite an impact to the body. You're feeling it. Yeah, yeah. You but are. it's also a release at the same time.
1: Yeah, it is for sure. It's really mm. interesting.
2: Yeah. Mm. So, like you, like we talked about the journey you went on in terms of more sort of, uh, I guess it was the "Lee just wants to travel the world" sort of thing. Um, <laughs> That was the intent there, but I guess Mindful well started a lot earlier, so that's yeah. been going for how many years now? Since
1: 2014, Yeah, so, yeah, coming up five years.
2: And what, what was the, what kicked that off? What was...
1: That was the yoga journey that I was on, so I was full-time financial planning, and I was kind of feeling pretty empty, like feeling like my business is doing really well, and I'm um, helping lots of clients, but I still felt like there was something missing, and I was contemplating maybe I do a career change, maybe I leave the industry and do something else. I didn't know what that was, but um, started studying yoga, and then got into the whole psychology and philosophy of yoga, fascinated by that. So did a year program, and then that kind of but kicked started my interest in behavioural psychology. Mm-hmm. So then I started studying mindfulness and um positive psychology and became a wellness coach and then a behavioural money coach as well. So I'm just fascinated. I'm always reading books on habits and beliefs and how the body and the mind and the emotions can play out and you know, we can harbour a lot of stuff in our bodies and started to see a lot of it's kind of ironic, I'm helping people manage their money on one hand and then I was trying to help them relieve the stress caused by money through the yoga studio. So it was kind of starting to see You had a good connection. toolkit
2: there, yeah. Yeah,
1: come see me here and then I
2: just upsell yeah, yeah. do you like fries with that yeah. yoga session
1: more holistic more yeah. holistic. <laughs> I think I just decided that I didn't want to be financial advisor and yoga teacher I wanted just to be me so mm. for me to be truly authentic in my client relationships I wanted to bring all of me to that and I didn't want to be could like decompartmentalize my life Mm. into well here i play this role and here i'm this person i was just like no this is me i am a yoga teacher and i'm about money and i can do both why do they have to be separate
2: are we talking like almost like staying as an advisor was and what you were doing around that was almost putting a band-aid on Mm. how you really felt about what was valuable and what you wanted to do
1: yeah Yeah, I was just doing, I was just going through the motions and I liked it, but I wasn't, I wasn't passionate about it. Mm. And I think something was missing and I wasn't sure what that was, but I knew that education was a really important part for me. I was really, I've always loved to write content and do the whole education program with my clients to make sure that they can make their own decisions, not just follow my advice. And I think deciding from there, hang on, maybe I can coach them instead of, tell them what to do with their money. Mm. So I'm a big believer that all the information we need is out there in the world. We just need to support people to help them understand how to make better decisions Mm. and doing that in a way that yes, it's logical, but it's also aligned to your true vision and values and then also your instinct. So teaching people a framework so that they are empowered and educated enough to, to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my role rather than sitting there going, you need to do this with your life because they're the expert in their lives. I'm not. I'm mm. an outsider saying this is what I think you should do. But I, I I didn't I never felt quite comfortable telling people what to do with their with their money cuz they're the expert.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I like my my style of advice was always more just like I was like so what do you this is what can be done. What do you want to do? Ooh, like yeah. let's sort of yeah. getting them to opt in cuz yeah. like I don't know, when you don't take an issue of decisions, then you're not really on board. Correct.
1: With you're not vested in it, right? Mm. And you also, I feel that the role that advisors play is more like choice architecture. Like, here's all mm. the choices. Here's how you weed out the ones that are appropriate for mm. you. And then what have we got left? What's going to work for you and your situation? And I always sort of thought of it that way more. And I liked the the problem-solving aspect of being an advisor that always really interested me.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, Well, you you had a bit of a power planning background even before. I did. I ran an
1: outsourced power planning company in 2011 for two years before I sold that. Yeah. Yeah, so I've always enjoyed that aspect of it.
2: Yeah, the strategy side of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting when you talk about, like, the telling and the asking and the... Do you think there is a place for the telling? Or do you think... It, everyone needs to go through a, that decision process.
1: There's always going to be a need for advice and need for the telling aspect. But mm. uh, the, the segment of clients that I'm working with, they don't need to be told. They just need to be shown how to how to make decisions and how to take responsibility for their own life. Mm. So I talk to them about your financial health is just like you would manage your physical health or your mental health you take responsibility for it you work out what what needs to be done which areas need Mm. to have focus and attention and then you prioritize that and you go okay well if i want to get fit then i'm going to have to you know actually go to the gym and i might have to change my diet and i might have to learn about what good food i put in my body and what i don't same with money it's just a skill that you can learn the Mm. same approach just think about it as you would any other area of your well-being
2: do you, do you draw the line? Where do, you, where do you draw the line between the money coaching and like those other examples you're just talking about, like health and wellness and fitness? Because yeah. obviously, very passionate about that space. And
1: yeah, yeah. I take a more holistic approach to talking to my clients about well-being. And I talk about, well, how do we use this resource? We've got a few resources in our lives, you know, time, energy, money. How do we use our resources to bring us more of what we want in life? So it is a little bit more holistic. There is a little bit of an element of life coaching, for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will talk about okay, what what things do you need to improve in your life? And if you've got all the money, but you're not bringing you know well being in other areas, then what's the point? So we do have those conversations around what else can you be doing in different areas of your well being, for sure.
2: Yeah, I've always been like drawn to because you're sitting there and you get like an advice conversation. Is goes you, you understand a lot about people, Yeah. and like it's so. I used to find it so hard when you're sitting there and you're understanding. Oh, there's things that they can probably do there and there and there, and it was really outside the structure that I understood to be mm-hmm. for advice, like mm-hmm. like from the financial standpoint. And yeah. and you're like, oh, this stuff doesn't really matter unless that, like, unless you sort <laughs> your shit out over there, like, yeah. it's and so it's true, that right? sort of. Yeah. Yeah, it's frustrating. So I really, I really get it. I've, I've always been really. Impre- I've, I always struggled to how do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? I always, worry, well, I've got. To, I think I know what the problem is. I want to, I want to be able to tell you. And help you. Yeah.
1: Well, that's. Um, I mean, that's the beauty of being a money coach is that you can have those conversations. It's, it's, it is in the scope. The scope is whatever you want it to be. So, as long as you're not talking product, you can mm. scope out that. But everything else is on the table because you're coaching them and don't talk about. There's no such thing as money decisions, they're life decisions. So we have really strong conversations around what are your values, what kind of life do you want to live, how do you define wealth, and what makes you feel wealthy. Even asking clients about what makes you feel wealthy, a lot of them can't actually articulate that. I'm like, well, how can we ever have it if we can't articulate it? So we go through the exercise, okay, well, it may be things like, I need to live near the beach and I really want to be around my family and my health makes me feel really wealthy and sunshine and you know, money. Yes, of course, but there's other elements. And mm. then we start getting a plan around, okay, this is what you need in your life. So now we look at our resources and say, well, how are we going to allocate those resources? Mm. We have time, energy, money to bring this into our life. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what coaching is all about.
2: Mm. Mm. So you, you've gone deep into this space. Yeah. But my understanding is that you see it as something that is very relevant to be added to an advisor kit yeah. in terms of existing advisors, experts in the financial space, really mm-hmm. like a lot of, a lot of them are having discussions around this mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. and they're probably skirting around all of the stuff that you're talking about, but mm-hmm. in generally maybe a, a lot, generally a lot less structured yeah, and, sure. and in turn effective. Yep. So yeah. How much do you think this do you think this should be mandated across the board as what advisors should be
1: Yeah, I do. I do. I feel like um, you're right. I was certainly having variations of these conversations with my clients when I was an advisor um but not to the depth or the structure that I do now. And that's because I didn't have a framework and I didn't have a model to work with. So now that I do, um, obviously it's a much deeper process, but even incorporating some of the principles into your advice offering can only just deepen your client relationships mm. and your connection with your client and actually understand what their drivers are and what they're actually wanting to achieve and, and what is holding them back. Because mm. if we can work out what behaviors and habits and emotions are going to crop up for them, we can create a plan that they're actually going to be able to work through it and and achieve what they say they want to achieve. Mm. If we just set a plan and then we go, good luck, we'll see you in six months, it's, you know, it's, it's putting the onerous back on them, but we're almost setting them up to fail because mm-hmm. we're not supporting or guiding them to say well here we're going to help you through that process and if you look to the us and the models in the us a lot of advice businesses have an advisor and a coach so you go and see your your okay. advisor and the advisor sets the long-term strategy they're the strategic thinker and they're going to implement all the solutions but the coach is the one who's going to hold their hand and see them regularly and mm-hmm. make sure that they're staying on track to that
2: So is the coach out of the licensed regime then? is that Yeah. That's happening.
1: So they do it together. And then Mm. some, I mean, I think you could be a coach and an advisor, but an advisor is already such a full-time job. It's Mm. like a couple of jobs in one. So adding another aspect to that would be good from an understanding point of view to talk Mm. to your clients. But to take on the role of coach and advisor is huge. Mm. Doable, but it's just a lot to... To do, and that's probably why I stepped out of advice. I had mm. to, you know, I'm a if I'm going to do something, I want to do 100, percent and mm. I, was, I can't do both. So which one brings me more satisfaction in the coaching role?
2: Yeah, totally. Mm. It's a. Uh, I, I guess as you're talking, I'm thinking. It's almost like I think the role of the advisor is big, like it's yeah. it's it's such a broad role, mm-hmm. and like not just when you look at best interest duty, it's mm-hmm. just the different facets of the activity. Even if you yep. took out all the regulation that, that sort of applied and makes it very difficult for advisors to get through what they need to get through, yep. they're on the front end, they're talking, they've got the people skills, they're relating to people, they're, um, they're doing sales, customer service. Mm-hmm. They're then talking, um, a lot of them are doing the strategy and the, the research and correct the administration and all across. And there's a whole lot of different skill sets that go on there. There are and like and that's just the baseline and, and then that's
1: you... for ones who aren't even running their own business as well. So you mm. add in this if you're running your own business, yeah, the business that. management, and... <laughs> it's huge. Yeah,
2: yeah. I guess yeah. I guess where I'm thinking is sort of like I've started to see it as you almost some of that a lot a lot of the strategy stuff needs to get let go. I think mm. that's where um, I see the ability to do both. I think if you really just hold on to that front end interface, yeah. Of the conversations with the client yep. and shaping up and be the educator and your you might translate the strategy stuff mm-hmm. or prepare a client in terms of and canvas the major expectations of what's going to go on there. Yep. But
1: uh, there's great
2: para planners that can take care of that. There
1: are heaps of great para planners. Yeah, and that's and like, what they love. You know, mm, that's where you work out what what are you good at and what do you love, and then start to do more of those aspects and try and outsource the rest of it. Because I think you're right. I think where the focus needs to be is 100% client relationships and trying to get the best outcomes for your clients. But all the other stuff that's going on behind, it just bogs you down. It just makes... It's like wading through mud trying to get, you know, get make a profitable business. It's mm. difficult.
2: All the, all the stuff you need to be across. Like, it's yeah.
1: just...
0: I know. It's huge. Yeah,
1: yeah it's huge. And I, I look back now and think, wow, here, I've got almost... Mm, I hate to say it, 20 years experience in the industry. Um, and I'm probably the happiest I have been in this career choice. But I wish I'd known about it a lot earlier. Mm. But I guess it wasn't around. It's been around in the U.S. for 20 plus years, but yeah. it's new here. I think I think one of the
2: challenges with advisors is that coming into the role, you, you, you're visualizing the role as this very fixed structure, mm. And and it's not helped by the, all the infrastructure around it with the licensee regime mm-hmm. and the rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. It almost... Um, because it because that, I guess, diminishes the latitude that you have to be creative and mm-hmm. to adjust how things are done. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people don't feel like they, they can really move out of that space, especially mm-hmm. now, and it's just getting worse and worse for a number of licensees. Yeah. So... that. Have you seen advisors? And this one of the one of the key areas is around splitting up the, the charging for mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a really key area, mm-hmm. one that licensees are sort of they've not been very good at because, mm-hmm. especially the lined ones, mm-hmm. um, and they've almost put up roadblocks for advisors to do this. And mm-hmm. and it's been an impediment to actually really chase that product market fit with the client, so to speak. In terms of yeah. they're sitting there, their clients want that you can see the needs are there, the clients are sort of uh, communicating and it's obvious that this stuff is valuable mm-hmm. and you're within this sort of cocoon sort of environment where you're like, oh, can I do that? Like, am I going to get in trouble? How do I have that conversation? There's no resources that have been put into making it so I can yeah, I can have that conversation because all I see is what I do my next step goes to a researcher and a, a power planning team and all they know is like, Products and stuff yeah. so like even if i have this conversation and i serve up this to the next step there's no one there to really take it off me
1: yeah
2: and then it forces it back on the advisor to try and work yeah. out the process but they got so much other shit going on so they cut kind it of, so yeah i think that's the issue okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i would agree <laughs> um i i do i feel like there's not a lot of scope for innovation in the industry um because of the pressures of compliance and the pressures of running a profitable business and just the the time constraints of trying to to think outside the square and implement something that is within the requirements and the control and the legislation and the it's difficult but i i guess that's probably why i always had a problem with it because I i was thinking this is not working and we're just we're all doing the same process in the same way and I had an issue with that, and I've never liked to do things the same way as everyone else. you know if I've got a better way of doing it for me, I'm going to do it that way. but it's having the guts to try and challenge that and try and do it too, which can be, can be difficult. I had a really supportive dealer group, so it was it was yeah. great. but um, yeah, I just always thought, well, there's something wrong here. I mean, why are we all all of us doing the same process? It doesn't not, no other industry does things the same way hmm. as we do. Hmm. Like there's innovation in every other in- industry, yep. yet in ours it's like no, this is the cookie cutter approach. There's the steps to financial planning. It's quite the, the, the irony, isn't
2: it? That ASIC's so concerned about cookie cutter advice, but yeah. the the force of structure, what they forced on the industry, almost channels some of that, yeah. um, and the structure of the industry.
1: The st- yeah. And exactly. I did a presentation yesterday um, to a corporate health and wellbeing day on financial wellbeing. There are 150 federal government employees there. I'm talking about financial wellbeing and the importance of getting advice and making a plan and, and seeing an advisor. And the questions were that came up how do I find a good advisor? That's coming out from the... And I said, there's so many good advisors out there. You just need to make sure that you do your research and you find someone who knows what you're talking about and what you want to achieve and that you connect with. And But it was fascinating to see that that was one of the most asked questions. How mm. do I find a good advisor? And mm. I'm thinking, what a shame that that's the conversation that's being had at the moment. And that's purely because of what's happened in the industry lately. Mm.
2: I, well, uh, I guess if you look at the guidance that's put out there, it's very... It's very. Uh, it's all about sort of looking out for risks,
1: yeah.
2: As opposed to actually connecting with people, yeah. Like the rhetoric mm. and the <laughs> the it? wording yeah. is is not helping the situation.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, when like if you when you talk about advisors and where they where they love their job, it's when they're working with people where they really connect and where people love advisors. It's mm. there's that relatability and it's all about that.
1: Yeah.
2: Like half the people that have amazing, well, probably more than half, don't even care what the advice is.
1: No, because it's about the relationship and there's trust and good communication and there's a connection. Mm. That's what's really important. It's just a shame that we're not advertising that more, mm. the power of that in, in the good stories. Like There's so much bad news and bad press and there's a huge market of disengaged consumers out there who need support and advice and they, they need to have it maybe accessible in different ways from a funding point of view, mm. the cost point of view, but also just how do I approach someone? I don't think just going to see a traditional advisor appeals to the majority of the population. It mm. does to some, but there's even research says like 48% of women are not comfortable going to see a financial advisor mm. in the traditional form.
2: Yeah, that so, more formal approach. Yeah. With, yeah.
1: Yeah. And the structured, you know, you pay a large upfront fee to go and get everything changed all at once. Mm. And, you know, you we get this big SOA and we just change everything we've ever done with money because it's all wrong. I don't like that that's what we have to do that's the structure (laughs) i notice, and that i've i always had an issue with that because i used to think am i the type of person who wants to go in and see an advisor who then tells me that everything that i've done with my money has been okay but we're going to change it all so i always thought i wouldn't want to hear that i would be overwhelmed walking out going we're going to change my insurance my super my investments my we're going to change it all right now with this great plan well, yeah, you make what? it sound so <laughs> silly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, who would have thought?
2: <laughs> we, I think we've really gone into the issue, haven't we?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm thinking you've got a you've got a whole toolkit about like, unless not not just talking about what you're doing now, but I guess mm-hmm. what you're doing before as well, because I think there's a few different ways that advisors can start to, mm-hmm. um, one one thing you're talking about is the touch points around how do you first engage with people as mm-hmm. they warm up to advice. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a big area, but it's also, also I think also um, that can be quite simplistic because you can look at it from the traditional sense and just, but also how a framework around how an advisor can run even that, Because what kills a lot of that stuff is compliance. Yeah. Because it is a really intuitive sort of flow with clients when you're doing that stuff Mm -hmm. and having those conversations. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to know your suggestions around that sort of the warming up of the the client into the the process, but Mm -hmm. also how advisors that even if they're in the most um, strongest compliance regime, very institutional licensee, Mm -hmm. um, what can they do Mm -hmm. to expand that scope a little bit yeah. but still not have to rock the boat of their existing structure too much.
1: Yeah. Good question. Good questions. Big one. Um, I'll big just one. sit back for a little bit. Now. <laughs> <Yeah>. um. <laughs> um, all right. So let's have a think about the second part of the question around how can they bring in more elements to their offering? I think, yes, there's compliance everywhere. Yes, there's structure and and regimen around control around what you can and can't do. But that's only if you're talking about product. So you remove that from the conversation, particularly initially to connect with your clients. And you're, if you have a toolkit of five really deep questions and you can really drill down really deep into that, what drives your clients or what lights them up and what's the most important values to them and what they're aspiring to create and achieve in their life, if you can get right down to that, I think that's going to really enhance the conversation but also the quality of the, of the advice you're giving because you're actually tapping into what's the reason for you being here? Mm. Like it's, it's. I know you're probably being here because it's something you think you should be doing, but there's a core driver here too. And, and if you can find out what that is for your clients, then you can build a plan that, that they'll be the best clients you've ever had because they'll be so grateful that you can help them achieve what really drives them and what they're really
2: passionate about. So you're talking about really just um, maybe ex- uh, iterating the conversation you have on yep. the front end yeah. to just and that plays into the existing structure
1: yeah definitely just Mm -hmm. deeper conversations how do you
2: um, i guess writing notes around that and that whole Mm -hmm. file note space is so hectic now what what sort of is there any tips around that and how to articulate these sort of things because i think
1: record your clients just record it ask them is it okay if I record this? Yeah, I record my work is all on Zoom, and I record all of my meetings. Um, one to protect myself, <laughs> um, just from a compliance point of view, um, but also because you can't you can't actually remember a lot of the stuff when you're going into deeper conversations. You want to actually be able to put it back to them in their own words and their their own language, and say, "This is what you what you've said." Mm. and you can reflect that back to your clients in their own language then they can it resonates better again you're creating a better connection and you're really saying reflective listening okay i'm listening to what you're saying and i'm getting it um so recording is a great way saves a lot of time and then you can get it transcribed or i use google voice or voice to text a lot so i'm i hate typing up just for everyone out
2: there that's that's actually if you've got an android it's actually on your phone like yeah. it's available. It's a free app. If
1: you use Google Docs, it's in there too, yep. which is great. Yeah, it's
2: very really accurate too.
1: Yeah, it is. It's actually really good. Incredible. Yeah,
2: yeah it's, um, my favorite thing now is like Google writes my email. That's a. Uh,
1: What's that? Tell me about that.
2: Well, it's just the auto text, like you oh, start. Oh, I
1: know, and it like finishes your sentences. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's I wasn't accurate. thinking that, but no, that's
2: probably better. Let's go with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's me too. I'm like, oh, that sounds better than what I was going to write. <laughs> 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 Done. It's phenomenal.
2: It really gives a bit of an insight into the the future direction, the today.
1: AI of everything. Yeah, mm. it's going to be interesting. But little things like yeah, recording to make things easier, um, less words, more pictures. But more what
2: about? thing that my mind goes to is like you capture all that data all that like I was always worried like shit you have this whole broad conversation what's what's in what's out what's what needs to go into like a document and
1: yeah how do you do
2: that what do you
1: yeah that's a good question so what when I'm doing my work from a coaching point of view and Mm. I'm collecting all of this information um they do homework so they write stuff for me and then I'll we'll talk and I'll make notes and I'm collating and looking for stuff to go into a
2: structure as you're doing that process. Yeah.
1: So I create what's called a blueprint for my clients so that they can see all of their patterning and beliefs and habits with money. And then what I, well, the reason we do that is to create the awareness because we cannot shift or change what we're not aware of. And Mm. a lot of what we do with money, 95% of it is subconscious or unconscious behaviors and habits and thoughts. So, Bringing it up to the surface, shining a light on it, looking at it, at one thing to go, wow, that's actually what what I do and what I think and how I feel. And then that's where we create a plan to move forward from. But grabbing bits of information, looking for patterns, looking for themes, um, it's, yeah, it's probably information overload, but it's almost like putting together pieces of the jigsaw. So mm. it's good. It's fascinating.
2: And and are you saying that you don't always use all that information right then? Correct. It may play into things. To later on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because I'm not doing, it's a, it's a journey, right? I'm mm. not in a hurry to get to the destination and neither are my clients. So it's all about how do we start step by step working with this stuff? It's, I'm not in a hurry to deliver them all my value and then go, okay, see you later. I'll see you in six months time. It's a partnership and we work together regularly over a longer period of time. So yeah. it's like, okay, let's just collect information as we go. And then that might come in useful later when we're doing something else. Okay.
2: So, so you're collecting um, a broad range of information that go into the framework. Mm-hmm. So you've got it organized to an extent from your standpoint. Yeah. And from a process standpoint, are there stages that you're going through as well? Is that mm-hmm. sort of, is it that structured? Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: So we've got what I, what's called the core process that I was trained in, which is all the awareness piece. This is to look back at a client's situation to, in order to see how they got to where they are today. So we need to go backwards and start from the beginning and say, okay, let's go through your whole history with money and see what's happened and why. And then from there, that gives us a really great awareness around why, you, why you're standing here right now with the situation that you're in. And then we go forward and say, okay, well, now that we've got that information and we know where you are, we need to look forward and say, what do you want to achieve? Mm-hmm. So we've got the awareness of what is likely to the roadblocks or the things that might stop them from achieving that and that's where i'm like okay now we've got the plan for the future i know what could potentially go wrong we're going to make a plan to make sure that doesn't happen okay
2: yeah
1: it's deep it is deep (laughs) it's awesome though it's it's, Yeah, yeah it's fantastic it's kind of um it's exciting and it's cool because you're actually helping clients achieve whatever is most meaningful to them. So it's about, I talk, we go back to that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, what we mm. were talking about before. If we're looking at the concept of that and we're trying to achieve self actualization ultimately mm. as a human species, um, if we do not have the financial part, the very base level, the foundation sorted, it's like snakes and ladders. My clients go up and then they like go down a couple mm. of rungs and then up and then down. It's like yeah. a shaky. So we talk about the fact that they need to really get that part sorted first and then we can move up towards self-actualization.
2: Do you find find that you have to bring in um, specialist resources depending on which way the conversation goes?
1: Yeah. So a lot of my clients have an advisor. I'm just the person that keeps them basically on track. So... 80% 80% of my clients have an advisor and if they don't, during our relationship, I'm encouraging them to go and see an advisor. Okay. Because it's almost like that toolkit that we're talking about. We need, yeah. I'm just one little solution in in their whole <laughs> needs, you know, and yep. I think I can then partner with their other professionals to make sure that I'm supporting them so they might have a therapist or a psychologist they might have you know they've got their doctor they've got their accountant their financial advisor their solicitor like they have all of these professionals around money coaches are just one of those people so they have their business coaches and life coaches and yeah it's an interesting kind of way of looking at you it get the,
2: you get the fun spot where there's no regulation
1: oh not yet I'm assuming it will be I'm assuming there will be some regulation as any I think any profession needs regulation. It does because you okay. get cowboys in there, and you're, you know.
2: <laughs> well, what sort of like? Because a lot of people go like, it's a very intangible um, space for a lot of people in terms of going. What there's a group of you? Like, is yes. this a thing? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What what structure is there around this yeah. space? Maybe maybe it's more advanced in the US than it is here. I guess it's
1: more advanced in the US for sure. Yeah. Um, What the problem, what the issue is, is that anyone can call themselves a money coach, Mm. right? So there are life coaches out there who are calling themselves money coaches who haven't done any, don't have any background in. Does a life coach have
2: any regulations or requirements?
1: Yeah, there's um, less regulation. There's more suggested sort of frameworks and there are minimum levels of certification. Oh, they do have. Yeah. Okay. So money coaching doesn't. Okay. And that's what I think is, I, that's where I see a benefit of creating some kind of minimum standard of ed- education.
2: Association of money coaches. Is yeah. that what I'm hearing?
1: Is that... Maybe. Don't Please start a new
2: association, everyone. Um, <laughs> just reach out to I am
1: not doing that. <laughs> I do not have capacity or the intention or desire at all. <laughs> um, okay. A couple but, of years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's never say never. <laughs> um, in the US, there are a lot, there's a lot of groups and associations that support coaching and as a space um does the government
2: reach into that space but or
1: no okay so it's largely unregulated okay um but in saying that money coaches are not giving any product advice so Mm. there shouldn't be an issue with it there's no it's not like we're putting clients in something that they could lose money from. Mm. They can't. We're teaching them, we're educating them, and we're teaching them how to make decisions, but we're not actually giving them any advice to do anything. Mm. So it's a different different way of looking at it. I think it's because it's such a new space, it's going to be very interesting to see well, how it evolves here in Australia. So there are... Number of coaches coming up who are starting to you know do training in the US or in the UK mm. and starting finally to bring well, non people of the
2: group have taken your know, hot tips and gone yeah. and done a couple of courses, so yeah. it's really cool to see.
1: It's awesome to see, I, and I want it to be a, a movement because I believe in the value of it, and I think I think there's such a huge market for here. If, if we look at people are googling it in the US. I want a money coach. You know, it's it's a thing, mm. <laughs> and I've always looked to the US as being sort of four to five years ahead of us in this space. Mm. So I know that it's coming, and it's whether we adopt it or whether we embrace it or not, mm. um, it's going to come. And, well,
2: because they they could just do it from the US.
1: Yeah, because I'm doing it from yeah exactly. In the world because it's again, it's not. It's, it helps to know. The, the market that you're working in, just because of the language around 401ks and you no know, bit of culture, IRAs. maybe, yes. yeah. But fundamentally, because you're talking more around how do you relate to money, what's your relationship with money, and how does it, you know, what are your strengths and your challenges? It's a, it's a universal conversation, so it mm. doesn't really matter where you're based. So, if you're we're not going to be offering it here in Australia, for example, then coaches from around the world will be fishing in our pond, yeah, essentially, for
2: people from. Online, like you just get someone from South America going, expert money coach. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and there are like the, I'm a master certified money coach with the Money Coaching Institute in the US and there are 400 coaches worldwide trained. Okay. So...
2: Do they yeah. all run digital businesses? Or?
1: A lot of them do, yeah. yeah. It is, it's catered for a digital business space. It's, um, you can do 60 minute conversations online. You can do four to five a day. From anywhere in the world it's oh, wow.
2: an easy model I'm, I'm getting i'm seeing a bit of a solution for some people that just want to get the out of what they're doing right now mm. um mm-hmm. become a money coach with uh with this sort of trajectory yeah so that's sort of really just going this like lee's going down that path of lee's realization and yeah. going it's just i'm fighting i'm going against the grain mm. it's not my sort of uh, it's not making me happy doing what I'm doing mm. and it's just a constant battle so if it's feeling like that maybe it is something for people to think about
1: it's worth considering as mm. an option um, it's going to be a very different role from being an advisor but there's enough crossover and similarities that you can bring your skill set across mm.
2: so well a lot of people when when you talk about them not wanting to give up that helping people yeah. and not um, then what what other what are they trained to do that could Um, give that satisfaction to them of supporting people and this is probably the closest thing that really is a channel for advisors to go into
1: yeah i agree i think um i think it's exactly right in that sense i think it's a beautiful synergy around that it's an easy easy step aside to another career path that um, has its challenges, but it's you know it, it walks alongside advice very well. So if you know the industry and you know your role really well, then you can just slot in next mm. to that, and you can work in c- conjunction with other advisors, for example, and say, hey, I can do the coaching for you, um, which is a great model too. Because I feel like there's always going to be a need and a role for advisors who love it, what they do. Mm. And those people who we we need you we need we need you to stay there doing what you're doing but the people who are like i'm just uh, this i like helping people but this isn't really for me. they're not attached
2: to the strategy stuff they like they see the benefit of it but they're not getting kicks out of it sort of thing
1: yeah and i'm having more and more conversations with advisors who are reaching out to me saying i'm feeling really unfulfilled i'm feeling really like there's got to be something else for me and i just don't know what that is and Mm. Money coaching might be it, but there's lots of other things as well. So well, just tell me like, more. <laughs> what are the other options? <laughs> well, it really depends. I think if we, as, like, as almost like I'm coaching my clients, look at what your strengths are and look at what you're really passionate about. And oh, we're talking like a complete doing. shift. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, not even like look at your career as an advisor and what aspects of the various hats that you wear as an advisor that you love, and then consider what you're good at and what you love and what careers. No suit that, and there are lots of other careers in the industry, whether it's in funds management or education, or you know, there's a lot of other roles as well. Mm. Um, but also, outside stepping outside the industry, there's always going to be other opportunities.
2: I feel a bit torn with this conversation that, um, almost like, hey, um, so you know, how everyone sort of wants to stop doing this because it's getting a bit shit. Yeah. Well, um, here's a way to leave and go do something else. And and one side of me is going, Well, shit. There's not enough advisors to start with. I know, know. and there's definitely an attrition that's going on over the next few years. Agree. Why are we making it easy for them to think through that process? Like,
1: (laughs) I don't know. The other side of me goes,
2: "Who gives a shit?" If people are there and they're not happy, yeah, get out because your clients are going to wear that. Correct. One way or the other. Yeah, I, I
1: agree with you. If your heart's not in it, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. I think. Because then you're not actually doing it to benefit your clients, or even you're not doing something that you're passionate about. So life's too short. Do what you love, and you can make a living out about it. Anything. If I can combine yoga and money, you can you can make a living out of anything. It's about having an intention and just going for it, giving it a go. What's the worst?
2: We're talking about manifesting. here.
1: We are. (sighs)
2: That's tonight. You and you and we got um because we I'm just having a chat to leave before our Gold Coast event. And we've got uh, Flynn from Wealth Enhancers, and he's he's quite the manifesto. I don't yeah. know if anyone saw his video on um, LinkedIn the other day. It's pretty cool. He's got a whole framework around it. And- yeah. I reckon you guys can going to have a great chat around. Yeah, that's, that's
1: it. cool. That's exciting. I work a lot with archetypes and part of the key archetypes is money. Are these like, like
2: money personalities sort of thing?
1: Correct. Based on Carl Jung's psychology around collective archetypes, which are our key way of attitudes and behaviors towards money. So it's not our personality as such, but it's how we show up when we've got money in our hands. And the two that we need is the warrior, which is the master of the material world, like really structured, planned, resourceful, balanced, in control, like really the logical left brain side of things. Okay. But we also need the magician who's the manifester. So the magician is the one who holds our vision. They're yeah, like, let's go to the pokes. Yeah.
2: Is that the magician? Well, it
1: could be, but that's the fool. I think that's the fool. That's the fool. Okay. Yeah. The fool's like, let's just have fun.
2: <laughs> the magician's like, um, let's start a business. Is that the magician?
1: Magician has a vision. So yeah. yeah, let's start a business or this is what my values are and this is what I want to achieve in life. And
2: I don't give a shit about anything else. This is what we're doing.
1: And they say to the warrior, hey, Mr. Warrior, come in and let's make a plan to make this happen.
2: It's like going so. to the, uh, the finance department going, "Can I have a bit of funding for this? Like, yes,
1: so. please? Yeah, please. <laughs> Exactly. So yeah, the warrior and the magician are what we all need. So. Okay. Mm. And how many
2: of these archetypes are there? There's eight. Okay.
1: Yeah. Fascinating. Mm. You can take Do, a quiz.
2: what are the what are the stats in terms of because I know with a lot of these money type things there's there's often um, a very there's a centralized sort of mm-hmm. nature of like maybe two or three that dominate the so, majority of the population. Is good that question. is that the same with this framework?
1: In a way, um, for All my clients take the quiz before they come and see me. So I know who I'm dealing with in a sense, like what their core traits are. So the innocent archetype is very often someone who comes to me because they are lacking control. They're a little bit fearful and anxious about taking responsibility for their money and they just don't know where to start so they're often uneducated in financial stuff so my role is easy help them like empower and educate them build their confidence so that they take responsibility so that's an easy one for me to work with the other one that i get a lot of is the full which is living in the moment um short-term focus the spenders so again as soon as i see that i they're know in significant that manage,
2: distress when they come to see you or
1: no, they're usually pretty happy with their situation, but they <laughs> no, mate. can
2: you help me figure out how I know when I'm going to have money?
1: <laughs> pretty much, what they need is control and structure. So yeah. they need cash flow planning, for example, because they've got their spending is like whoa, everywhere. So immediately when I see the archetypes coming in, I can tell what what how to shape my conversation to know how I can best help them. Mm. So it's very interesting.
2: Yeah, it's really I guess that whole um, pre questionnaire to the client is really interesting because it's sort of because um, obviously you don't want to you don't want it to dictate any outcomes of the meeting Mm-mm. but i guess the the perspective you're saying is it, it's giving you that um way to get the most out of it
1: yeah it is it, it helps you language your conversation with clients it's giving me a little like insight into what's going on for them without them having to tell me
2: is it is there any correlation with like hbdi and things like that or because uh-huh. like, a lot it's of people been, know that you got the left right, yellow blue green and red sort of thing
1: yeah it's all because that's all a um, deriv- derivative of carl Jung's work anyway is it? so yeah it would oh, be it's carl young yeah, because
2: that's been around for a while
1: I don't even know how old he is. He was—he's been around for a long time. So he's Can like, I go look him up? Yeah, young with a J. <laughs> okay. Um, oh. Yeah. So he's
2: German or something. Like
1: the original thought person for—that's a good word, isn't it? Thought person. Oh, <laughs> technical term. Yeah, technical term. He's thinking uh, people. Thinking people. He created basically created modern psychology. So and Could the I concept try? of archetypes and. Um, fascinating. Start reading about his stuff, but th- when you do the Myers Briggs, for example, with mm. what the different personality types—they are basically archetypes. Yeah. So just that he's—they've been renamed into different.
2: Yeah, mine types. was. Um, I did a, a job I had a long time ago. Yeah. And they—they um, were able to allocate Simpsons characters to all these Myers yeah, Briggs. Yeah. And have a guess uh, who I <laughs> ended up with. Who were you? <laughs> Bart Simpson. <laughs> Some people might be going well, obviously but, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "How cool is that?" Oh wait, what's wrong with that? Like,
1: <laughs> I've thought about that too. Yeah, I've thought about that. Is like, how could I? Because these have names like the Warrior, the Magician, the Creator, Artist, the Fool. But you could, you could. Had a bit more sort of... Yeah, and we spoke about ...entertainment that. to it. Sort yeah, because people can relate to The Simpsons. Like mm. Nearly every single person has seen at least one episode of The Simpsons. So they could say, oh, well, you know, the, the warrior is someone who'd be Lisa, for example, because she's very structured and planned and mm. methodical, and she's going to get it done. Sounds
2: like you got it already.
1: Yeah, then. so look at our <laughs> a Simpsons theme. What would Mr. Burns be? He's the tyrant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that an
2: archetype? Yeah. Ooh.
1: Yeah, so more critical, judgmental. Uh, materialistic.
2: What do you do with them?
1: Help them to learn to step learn back. Learn to love. Learn to love. Yeah, generally they need some healing in that space because it's they're using money as a way to control the world and that's generally because they're hurt underneath. So. Well, that
2: was, that was, I guess, that question previously where I was like, shit, things get pretty deep. Yeah. Do you... Do you have to bring in, like, specialist psychologists sometimes? Is that sort of...
1: Yeah, definitely. It's completely out of my scope, and I don't want to be a therapist or a psychologist. Mm. But you can work with your clients to identify the issues and then, you know, suggest that they go and see someone. Um, Or a lot of them, like, a lot of my US clients already have someone that they're working with, so you know it's a different cultural thing so i have to say well make sure you're in your next conversation with your therapist that you're going to talk about this yeah yeah so they can do that aspect of it because i don't want to get into any of that that's not like i'm fascinated by it but it's it's another lifetime i think (laughs) it's
2: drawing drawing that line i guess yeah yeah that's awesome Lee, you're always doing, um, I guess, things with purpose and passion, and I'm sure there's something going on at the moment that um, you would love to share. I don't even know, because I would ask you what the latest (laughs) thing is. where do I start? But obviously, (laughs) obviously, is the coaching. Yeah, yeah, what do you have to share with the community in terms of what they could get behind or um, embrace?
1: I'm working on a really cool app at the moment um, called Financial Mindfulness. So essentially, it's for people who are stressed about money uh, and... You go in and you listen to a meditation uh, to calm you down, to get you in a state of learning because when you're stressed, you're not operating out of your thinking brain, you're operating out of the fight or flight brain mm. it's a reptilian brain so this is designed to get you into a calmer space and then we educate through basic financial literacy um both audio and visual with videos and and cards of information um which is all about habit change how do they get out of the situation that they're in do little small changes so mm. um if you're going in you're going okay i'm really stressed about my credit card debt you would click the credit card and then go through the cycle of that so that's uh in beta testing at the moment we've been working on it for almost two years oh wow it's going to launch at the end of june so that's pretty exciting
2: okay Mm. very cool and is that something that i guess when we were talking about before like these um, ways for people to start getting their toe in the dipping their toe in the water with um, guidance and better information and Mm -hmm. help with decision making is that Mm -hmm. part of that strategy to help people
1: yeah it's it's recognizing that A lot of people when they're stressed about money don't necessarily reach out for support it's like a you know money's taboo for a lot of people Mm. and it's there's such a stigma around it so it's trying to encourage people to do something about the situation Mm. um, and then instilling education and empowerment to suggest that they go seek more support like it's the whole way through it's you could go see a mortgage broker you could go see an advisor you could go like different ways to encourage them to just keep taking steps towards little next step sort of thing yeah
2: and it is and through an app it's they're in control they're not they're not reaching out to another human they're they're sort of um, discovering it for themselves or figuring it out, solving the problem themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. and Or at least trying to, you know, making a start. And mm. it's to recognise that you know, 50% of Australians are stressed about money. This, you know, it's the number one cause of stress globally. So really just saying, well, that's the problem. How do we bring a solution to that? Mm. Because financial advice is, is not necessarily for people who are stressed with money. Mm. But there's a whole lot of people who it doesn't matter how much income you have, you can be significantly stressed with money at any any income point. So really? it's kind of bringing a solution to that market in a way.
2: That's awesome. And the money coaching?
1: Money coaching is happening. So I'm training uh, with the founder from the US. She's coming to Australia. Uh, so we're co-training uh, at the moment. Uh, there's... More programs happening there. I'll be heading back to the US in June to run some programs over there as well. Yeah, nice.
2: And I'm going to take this opportunity to give everyone a little heads up that Lee's got a course on the way. Just thought I'd get it uh, out in the ether there. So um, (laughs) Lee knows it's been said. So instead of looking at her prepared notes, uh, she actually goes and finishes it. Yeah,
1: I actually, you know, what's really (laughs) crazy is I know that it will just take me one day to finish it off and I'll just have been procrastinating. But yes, it is coming very soon.
2: Yeah heard it here first guys (laughs) lee's course on the X5 advisor platform yes well lee thank you very much for coming this has been awesome yeah Uh, i think a lot of people are going to get some great stuff about it and um really exciting for tonight the event
1: yeah me too thanks for having me